Hello everyone, today's passage comes from Mark 14. It centers around Peter, one of Jesus' three closest disciples, the others being James and John. They had just had their Passover meal in the upper room where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, and now they're going out to the Mount of Olives. And this is their secret prayer spot, their special small group bonfire spot. And this is what Jesus first said in verse 27. He says, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus speaks the truth to the disciples about what was about to happen. And he sees himself as the shepherd. And when the attacker attacks the flock, the shepherd, the flock is going to scatter and it's going to fall away. And this is what's going to happen to the disciples. But that is not the end because the shepherd is going to come back. Jesus says, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So the shepherd will come back and will lead the flock again. In verse 28 to 31, Peter objects to Jesus' prediction that the disciples will all fall away. He doesn't speak up on their behalf, though. He doesn't start by saying, we will not, Jesus. Rather, he makes it a point to use this as an opportunity to highlight how he himself is different than the others. He says, even though they all will fall away, Jesus, I, Peter, the faithful disciple, will not. Peter is expressing his devotion to Jesus. His heart is willing to follow Jesus to the end. He feels it. And therefore, in his mind, that must mean that he is then able to. So he makes this big claim about himself. I will not fall away. Jesus then comes back with some details. Well, let me tell you, Peter, that you may think you know yourself, but truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And of course, Peter denies this. Emphatically, it says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. The disciples follow suit. What, I mean, what else are they going to say, right? Even though they are scared out of their wits, perhaps in this safe environment, they let themselves get away with joining that chorus. I will not deny you, Jesus. How can they be so confident? What are they confident in? And here, they're just confident in their words, in themselves. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Jesus is warning them here to take heed, but they don't seem to take that warning. They don't seem to get it. They are uncomfortable with the thought of what Jesus is warning them of here. Could they actually be that cowardly? Could they be so quick to run away and scatter even after all that Jesus has done for them? Jesus sees us this way as people who are actually weak, who are so quickly to fall to temptations, such fearful beings and easily threatened by danger. It's after this that Jesus prays and he asks his disciples to keep watch. Jesus asks for their help. He is feeling weak because he knows that he is about to be led to the slaughter to die. He will have to face the cross and die. He asks, Abba, Father, remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus doesn't insist on his own way or his desires or give in to his fears. It's a prayer that's full of burden, feeling weak, and yet fully surrendering his life over in trust to God, his will and his leading. But then, of course, what happens next? When he comes back to his disciples, they are sleeping. How discouraging that is. In verse 37, he calls out to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus, though I'm sure he's discouraged here, is so different from how we would react, perhaps in frustration or anger or despair. He knows that they can't do it. Their flesh is weak, and so he has warned them, he has instructed them to pray as well that they may resist temptation. To do what? Temptation to run away, to abandon Jesus, the temptation to preserve oneself. Jesus recognizes our weaknesses. He knows how we fall prey to sin, how we give into our desires, the desires of the flesh. Even just here to sleep, or later Peter to warm himself by the fire, to seeking comfort when our dear Lord is in danger. And in a way, even in this moment, it's a reminder to us why Jesus has come to die for us. So in verse 54, it says Peter followed at a distance instead of running away. 
And I was thinking about why did Peter follow at a distance instead of just running away. Perhaps Peter knows Jesus is who he actually claims to be, that he is the son of God. Perhaps Peter did love Jesus after all, and so he doesn't want to abandon Jesus. He gets as close as possible right into the courtyard of the high priest, but he did not have the courage or the will to go through with what Jesus would go through, whatever it may be. So he was sitting with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Verse 38, Jesus says, said in the garden of Gethsemane, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Perhaps that captures what Peter might be feeling at that moment. Yes, I want to die for Jesus. I did say that, but I'm too scared, too afraid, have too much to lose. And at the core, he was cowardly and he wants to put himself first. I think we can all relate to this. The grand promises we make to God. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end. But in our journey so often, we run up again and again against our own unwillingness to follow Jesus to difficult places. We follow him at a distance. We can have this kind of self-righteousness that Peter had about our devotion to Christ, where perhaps we look at other Christians around us and think, I'm never going to fall away like that guy. But perhaps some humility is in order. We should never think of ourselves higher than we ought because there are fears and situations that we may not have ever faced that actually will expose us for our cowardly and self-preserving nature. Though Jesus may have been telling you, this is who you are. Do you lack that kind of self-awareness about yourself? Do you actually listen to others who are trying to tell you, who are trying to help you, to ask you to sift through your heart for what may be truly inside, what may be truly motivating you in your service to God? Do our words talk louder than our actions? And sometimes our pride prevents us from seeing ourselves. It blinds us from ourselves. And it's only in these humbling, testing situations that we begin to see ourselves for who we truly are, that we have the chance to be broken and humbled, finally. At the end of it, Peter's cowardice is exposed. In the high priest's courtyard, he is unable to stand up to a servant girl who recognizes him as having been with Jesus. Peter flat out denies it. I neither know nor understand what you mean. And on the third denial, it's noted that he began to even invoke curses on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Peter went from emphatically saying, if I must die with you, I will not deny you, to emphatically denying Jesus by calling curses on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Peter finally sees what he's capable of. Those words are actually really hurtful. And it's in that moment that his view of himself is shattered as a rooster crows a second time and he remembers what Jesus had said. It is then that he is broken and he weeps. And sometimes we need that kind of sudden flash of insight about ourselves through some incident that reveals our true commitment to Christ. We are exposed before God. So upon Peter's betrayal, he broke down and he wept. He must have remembered Jesus' words, you will all fall away, and then remember his own overconfident words, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. He must have cringed and wished he never uttered those words. After this colossal failure, Peter saw himself truly for the first time as Jesus saw him all along. He's not who he thought he was, not some courageous, loyal disciple. His pride is broken. His ego is dashed. His ungrounded, untested self-confidence is gone. All he can really ask for is forgiveness for his betrayal. What else would he remember? Perhaps how Jesus knew all along of his betrayal, and yet Jesus did not hold it against him. He treated him like a close friend, took him to pray, confided in them at the garden. My soul is sorrowful even to death, and asked him to pray. Jesus' love for Peter, for us, is unfathomable. No man can love like that towards another, maybe for your children, but for another person whom you know would hurt and betray you that same day. That's divine love. 
We're like Peter, overly confident, but when push comes to shove, we're cowardly and for our own skin. We will fall and fail again and again in our walk with God. We don't have enough love or courage or willpower or good character to fulfill our vows and promises. So we need to be humble and self-aware. When we fail, remember the cross. Jesus already knew, and that's why he went to the cross to pay for my sins, for our sins, so that we can be forgiven. Have a good day.